Welcome to Since You Asked with Jim Barrier on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Send Jim your questions about the Bible and Christianity to jim at cgmradio.com. Subscribe to Since You Asked by visiting us online at cgmradio.com slash ask. And now, here's your host, Jim Barrier. Last week, we looked at some difficult sayings of Jesus. Today, we will continue with other difficult sayings in the New Testament. Romans 12.20 confuses a lot of people. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. This seems to be in direct conflict with the previous exhortations. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Never repay evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Heaping burning coals on someone's head sounds pretty vindictive to me. First, we need to understand that Paul is quoting Proverbs 25 almost word for word, which says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head. Now the word heap is rendered gather in some translations. The Hebrew word is kata, which Strong's Concordance translates snatch up, which is how it is rendered in Psalm 52.5. He will snatch you up. So it is better rendered, you will snatch up or gather. Doesn't that make more sense to give someone a drink and cool his fevered brow? After all, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says, I have decided to turn over such a person to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Here's what brought this on. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and sexual immorality such as a kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. So, a man, presumably a young man, is having sex with his father's wife. Note, it does not say with his mother, so this is probably a stepmother. It is also possible that she is now a widow. Whatever the case, Paul describes it as something that does not even exist among the Gentiles. Corinth was home to the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, lust, beauty, pleasure, passion, and procreation. She was the patron goddess of prostitution. Today, she would be a pop star. Corinth was known for its sensuality. It was the original sin city. So to call this sexual immorality that does not exist even among the Gentiles is pretty bad. It was forbidden by both Jewish and Roman law. But what irks him the most is the church's attitude. They were arrogant. They were proud of their tolerance. They should have been penitent. 
Paul's main concern is the health of the church. He was not on a crusade against the lost. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean sexually immoral people of this world. For what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? He was troubled by the impurity within the church. We need to understand this in today's church. We have all heard or even said, hate sin, but love the sinner. I try very hard to demonstrate love for sinners. Where we fall short is in hating sin. Sin destroys people. God hates sin because it destroys the people he loves. Sin that is not dealt with in the body of Christ is a cancer that will kill it. This is why Paul deals so severely with the situation. Let's go back to the beginning of this lesson. To turn a person over to Satan means to let him return to the world that Satan has dominion over. That person is no longer under God's protection and blessing. If you are in obvious rebellion to God's authority, he is no longer ruling your life or circumstances, and you are no longer in the spirit but in the flesh. Releasing such a one is for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved. I am told by those in 12-step groups that often a person must hit rock bottom before they will look for help. Remember the prodigal son? He wound up in a pig trough before he came to his senses. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul writes, Sufficient for such a person as this punishment which was imposed by the majority, so that, on the other hand, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a person might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. There is no name given to the person in the first letter or the one in the second. Many commentators believe it is the same person. But even if it is not, the fact remains that Paul was most concerned about restoration, not destruction. What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is all about the resurrection, and Paul's arguments follow a series of if-then statements. If there is no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith also is in vain. If the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Paul neither endorses or denies the practice of baptizing for the dead. That is not the purpose of this discourse. He is recognizing that obviously they believe in the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, we have no hope. Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Teachers in some cults interpret firstborn to mean that Jesus was created. They ignore the very next line, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Firstborn is a term that implies prominence, authority, dominion. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He who has seen me has seen the Father. In his priestly prayer in John 17, he claimed to share glory with the Father before the world was created. John 1 states, All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Jesus preceded creation. The greater understanding occurs in verse 18. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And that brings us back to the resurrection. We can experience resurrection because Jesus was raised from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Colossians 1 says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions in behalf of his body, which is the church. Wait a minute. Is Paul saying that Christ's sufferings are insufficient to save us? Not at all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are partners in our sufferings, so also you are in our comfort. The atoning work of Christ is complete. In addition to his sufferings, we are also called to suffer. 1 Peter 2 says, You have been called for this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. The only thing lacking in affliction is for us to follow his example. The awesome result of this is that we will be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort we ourselves are comforted with by God. My sister-in-law is a stage 4 cancer survivor. Her husband died from cancer. God often leads her to people who are battling cancer. She is able to encourage and comfort them in a most powerful way. I frequently tell those who are walking through affliction that they will someday be able to comfort others who walk through similar affliction. When you are walking through tough times, keep in mind that God sees everything and he has a purpose for you in it. James 2 says, Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now be very clear. Abraham was saved by faith, but his faith was proven by works. 
I cover this in detail in Episode 5 of Since You Asked. 1 John 5 says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I am not saying that he should ask about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. But I thought the wages of sin is death. What's the difference between sin leading to death and sin not leading to death? Let's look at some themes in this great letter. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. True believers have dealt with their sins by confessing them. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Even after you have been saved, you might fail at some point. Sin is the exception to the rule in the life of those who follow Christ. The sin not leading to death, in this case, is the sin of believers who have confessed their sins, but stumble later on. That person is still saved, but needs to get up and keep going. Pray that God will forgive them. The one who has not repented is committing sin leading to death. In that case, pray that they will come to a place of repentance so that they may receive forgiveness and be saved. The angel said to Joseph, Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to do that now. Confess your sins and repent of your sins, and you shall be saved. If you are a Christian, but there is some sin in your life that you haven't confessed yet, do it now. He will forgive you, and I will pray for you that he will forgive you. This is Jim Barrier on Since You Asked. Since You Asked is a production of Jim Barrier and Cross Global Media. Visit us online and subscribe to the show at cgmradio.com slash ask.